0: everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today might be one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> I've had so many lovely episodes with really wonderful people lately, but today is something really special. Mason Alexander Park is a rising star, on stage, in television. I'm sure if they're not already starring in films, it's not not far away for them. They are an incredibly talented, really wonderful individual. And this is our first time ever speaking to each other with our voices. Uh, We've been messaging on Instagram, like all the cool kids do. But what makes today so special is mason alexander park and i for all intents and purposes on paper just as far as a casting director is concerned we're the same person and it's a really lovely conversation we have about the two of us finding our place in the industry and having room to celebrate one another rather than feel competitive with one another. Really, it's all about me coming to terms with a young, hot, rising star coming for my gigs. No, I'm joking. It's a really wonderful episode. I'm really excited for you to hear it, so buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom! I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by film, TV, and theater actor Mason Alexander Park. Hi, Mason. Hi, jinx. Okay, now first and foremost, I'm so glad we're finally speaking to each other. It feels, I don't don't know when I first like, when you first like entered my hemisphere, but ever since then, it's just like, I see you everywhere. How, (laughs) How candid may I be with you in this moment?
1: As candid as you want.
0: Okay. I think this, I hope this comes off as like a compliment and I hope that you hear it with the sincerity that I'm going to say it. Okay. There was a time in my life when I was a much more bitter, jaded, envious person. Um, Thanks to therapy, witchcraft and medication, I am not that person these days. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank God I'm not that person these days because now I just get to be excited for the existence of you rather than utterly terrified (laughs) 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 that you are going to get every job I could ever want. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you, I auditioned for the first national tour of Hedwig, didn't get it. I never auditioned for Desire in Sandman, except for the audiobook. Did it get it? Ooh. Are you one of those people where I auditioned for the audiobook and didn't get it? Then the TV show came out, and it's someone I'm familiar with playing the role I went for for the audio book. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I am I am beyond honored because and you now,
0: have, well, now you're playing yeah, you the know. MC on the West End. Anyway, so I am not a <laughs> I am not a jitter a, a jitter. I'm not a a, 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 ba- a bitter, jaded, envious person these days. But if I were, who doggy, you would send me run for the hills because you are so successful, so talented, and. Uh, one of those people I've met in life where I'm like, are we like from different timelines? Are we like the same <laughs> person from a different timeline?
1: I think so. we, yeah, we were birthed now. from like a different <laughs> alternate universe, you know, like so there is a version of our lives where we are like twins or something. Yeah, I think. yeah. Yeah.
0: And you know what I've learned is the antidote to envy. I'm I swear I'm going to let you talk. I'm just getting it all out <laughs> in the open right away. The mm-hmm. antidote to envy I have found is and this is going to sound so up my own ass or like whatever. It's it's leaning into celebrating the other person. Mm-hmm. Um I felt <laughs> I have felt threatened so many times in my career because we are scared of the scarcity right you know there's not a lot of roles for people like us so and then when they start when they start writing roles you're kind of like oh my gosh finally they're writing roles and then you're like now's my time oh but wait I'm not the only non-binary actor who has been waiting for their shot you know um and when I lean into <laughs> celebrating other people, what excites me and what cures the envy is I'm like, oh my gosh, instead of being threatened by this amazing human being, what I need to do is come up with something that we do together. We need to start manifesting that we do play, well, not twins. I'm like, what, eight years older than you, but <laughs> um, we we need to play something together. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now let's talk about your fabulous career. Let's start with The Sandman cuz that's what everyone I'm sure is going to want me to start with. But first and foremost, you are a non-binary 27-year-old very successful actor. Um congratulations. Like
1: <laughs> thank you. I'm 8 that. years
0: older when I was when I was young, even when I was your age. I didn't think we were going to get a lot of non-binary mm-hmm. or, or trans or queer, like, honestly queer representation in film, TV, and and stage. And, and you're doing it. And how does that feel?
1: <laughs> it, it feels nice, in, you know, in a lot of ways, obviously, because, like, it's cool to see the world change and to... Mm-hmm. Uh, start becoming a place where, you know, people like you and I can actually have a career um, because yeah, 10 years ago, like living as authentically as we do now, like we wouldn't have the same access or the same amount of opportunity. So I'm like, I'm obviously very thrilled and and honored to be a part of, of any amount of of the work that I've been lucky enough to, to get to participate in. Um, But it is, yeah, it's really cool that um, I kind of got to watch the shift happen Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, as opposed to sort of coming in when it was all in vogue already. And Mm -hmm. because there, I feel like the younger generation, like they, they, they're really awesome, but they kind of, they're in this really cool place where they can just sort of slip into all the teen high school shows and like everybody kind of looks like them and represents them and I remember growing up and like kind of starved for that stuff and finding it in you know in uh, sitcoms in like the 90s and that sort of thing Um, any ounce of like potentially trans (laughs) representation (laughs) or drag you know like was enough to kind of get us by um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, it's it's cool. It's a nice, like, tonal shift, obviously. I'm happy I can make a living as myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that a novel concept? <laughs> um, let's... Okay, so I said we're going to start with the Sandman. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so, Neil Gaiman wrote a graphic novel... Called The Sandman Chronicles, The Sandman Legacy. I, I I don't know what the series is called. I'm not Just big into Sandman. I'm not big into things like, you know, reading, but um. <laughs> <laughs> but um Neil Gaiman, the prolific author author, created um all the characters and the story, and then it's a Netflix original show, right? Yeah. And how how did it come about? Um, for you to play the character Desire, um, looking freaking gorgeous as all hell. Oh, um, how how'd that come about, and was that a nerve wracking uh, process?
1: It was. <laughs> it was kind of fast and furious. I um, uh-huh. you know, I I'm you you are a, a hyper like self aware individual, so I feel like you will understand this like when there there's very specific roles or things that kind of enter your consciousness so you're like I'd be good for that Mm -hmm. I know my limits I know like what I do well Mm -hmm. that's the thing that I would go for like like you would be you know you are a brilliant Hedwig and like you are absolutely a dream Hedwig you know of mine in my head of someone who (laughs) should play a part you know like would destroy that part and so, like, I know you. I'm sure have like a running list of what those parts are. Yeah. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. And desire. It's just like, what
0: a smart a smart actor does. Yeah. You have yeah, your, yeah. So you, when you when you see that character name on a call sheet or something, you're like, everyone move, move, yeah. move. <laughs>
1: Now's the time. Now's my yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, I had I had remember coming across the comics. You know. Um, at some point in my life, and I knew that there was this non-binary character in it that was, you know, kind of Frankenfurtery, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just sexy and dark, and and uh, it, it was a world that I really loved, and I grew up loving comics. So I, um, I had a friend who was called in for death on the show, and that's when I knew that it was being made. And I was shooting a series in New Zealand um, during the pandemic called Cowboy Bebop for Netflix, mm-hmm. and they, you know, did a proper two-week quarantine where you're like kind of going crazy uh, with no human contact except for like someone in truly in camouflage, like an army person dropping off your lunch outside your door. <laughs> it was wild. okay, um, so
0: it was like filming Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. You get yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I was just like a, a, about a week and a half in. I started just I was up too late and hallucinating. I'm sure. And <laughs> uh, Neil's very active on Twitter, so he was tweeting about the starting of like the filming process of Sandman, and it just reminded me that it was happening. <laughs> and I was so delirious, and I was like, I should ask my team about this. But it's also like four in the morning in New Zealand. I don't even know what day it is back home. Like, I'm just going to tweet Neil right now and, and ask him okay. if Desire is going to make an appearance in season one, um, because he's like relatively, you know, uh, re- re- responsive to people yeah. in in comments. And he got back to me, and he was like, um, "Yes, Desire is going to be in season one. This is the casting director's information. Uh, you know, blah blah blah."
0: Do you know what's incredible? The way I got the uh, audition for the audio book was Neil just reaching out to me. Yeah, that's... he's very like that. Um, it's and, very theatery. Oh, <laughs> you know, I I think it's just. I mean, he he. Uh, I know. I I don't know where the current they're currently at, but I know that he was married to a, a Amanda Palmer, mm-hmm. and Amanda's a friend of mine. And I know this artist world. This is how it works. You know, it's it's how it works in Hollywood too. It's just like a lot more exclusive and elite yeah. and gonna really penetrate the inner circles. But but you know it it is a like show people are show people. Whether you're in Hollywood or you're on theater, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, uh I don't know, it's like one big circus. It's like a worldwide circus that we've all kind of got a secret handshake to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So, okay, well, you said Cowboy Bebop, and um, I'm sure that's going to be huge, that cult anime that I never watched but know everything about because all my friends watched it. Uh, Yeah. It sounds like you've got a a lot of really great things going on. You're currently the MC in the West End. Are you ready to take a hard left turn and talk about gender politics a little bit? Yeah. Uh, oh, Gender hell yeah. and queer politics. So I have a question for <clears throat> you. And I yes. don't mean any ill will to someone I find extremely talented and um, very hot. But Eddie Redmayne um, was first to play uh, the MC in the this revival on the West Mm -hmm. end. And it was shortly after facing controversy for the Dutch girl. And he, um, I think very, you know, like, I think I loved the way he responded. He was like, I realize now that maybe it shouldn't have been me playing this role. And um, I, I I realize like the impact that it has like uh, mm-hmm. for, for the community. And I will be more mindful in accepting roles in the future. And then it was like the next thing I saw Eddie Redman's uh, Redmayne's playing the MC. Now this was kind of, for me, a gray area. Because I'm like, yes, the MC is an iconically queer role. It's one of those roles that people like you and me have on their list as like, yeah. that's a role I could go for. And then... um but there's nothing really in the script denoting a hard-fast sexuality or like you know the mc has been lots of different people it was just yeah. funny timing yeah. but now um you uh, a queer non-binary actor are playing the mc uh, I want to know your thoughts on this role, its, uh, its impact as like a queer icon role, and how you feel about, you know, straight actors playing iconically queer roles. That's a lot. We're going to talk about it together, <laughs> but those are the big points I want to um, pick your brain about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, I've, the cool thing about being in the show is I have so much insight into now, you know, how it came to be. Um, which, because I had a similar reaction, I think you know when I saw the list, I, like when I saw that the show was happening and that Eddie was doing it, like my immediate reaction was like, <laughs> I was like "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" whoa. <laughs> but, um, but, but yes, it, like you said, there's nothing in the script that denotes anything specific about the character, kind of at all. It is sort of like an entirely blank slate. Um, and they're just a master of ceremonies. And so I think that that was sort of the starting point. It was a role that he had played, um, when he was like in high school at the Edinburgh I Prince knew Festival. you were going to
0: say in high yeah. school.
1: Yeah. yeah. And he loved it. And, you know, and uh, the, the producers that, you know, he had met through that process and stuff, you know, helped him get this one up on, on its feet. So Eddie sort of put the team and the group together mm. in many ways from the ground up. And when they started building the team, our phenomenal director, um, Rebecca Frecknell and uh, Tom Scott, who is the the costumes and set designer, I think that everybody had a lot of conversations about the queerness of the piece Mm -hmm. and the queerness of the performers and of that character in particular. and. Um, with Eddie, like he's the one person on that stage that would survive the Holocaust, so they built the show with that in mind, and kind of drained him of sexuality and all of the things that that mm-hmm. sort of I think mm-hmm. the MC is kind of known for, and made it much more of like this commedia dell'arte, almost like disfigured, um, mime-ish, sort of yeah. garish figure that then has this ascent to power as the rise of Nazism happens around, you know, the, the, the show. And so the MC isn't like the tragic figure that I think they've Mm -hmm. been in, you know, previous incarnations. Um, And, and it sort of became about the MC becoming this rigid patriarchal blonde like Mm. poster boy for Nazism uh, wow. up through the end and it, it had a really fascinating effect but then when you, they offered me the part first thing I wanted to talk about was like what does that mean <laughs> when you yeah. have you know trans <laughs> person doing it I was like well that's all fine and dandy you know I saw the show and imagining myself in the show um I could imagine it all the way up until the turning point point. and then I wanted to know like what does our turning point mean you mm-hmm. know for a trans body And that was like the first conversation that everyone on the creative team wanted to have as well, because the cool thing about this uh, iteration of the show is they definitely want to build it around the new leads that come in Mm -hmm. and they want to make sure that um, that the bodies and the people that are inhabiting these parts, like that we are aware of who they are, and that it mm-hmm. isn't like we're just ignoring and pretending that, you know, I can, like, me in boy drag isn't me in boy drag. Yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah. So,
1: like, when I'm in boy drag, it has a completely different, you know, political meaning and feeling when people start to conform, you know, towards the end of the show mm-hmm. than it did when, you know, Eddie shows up in the oh, suit absolutely. as his like truest self. Um, So it's been a lot of fun kind of going back to basics and being like, what does this look like with a a little trans anarchy in it?
0: I love that. I absolutely love that because, you know, I think um, it's what I experienced in Chicago. And um, Mm. I think it's, I think it's part of what I, I, it's part of Chicago's longevity. It's like when I, in my 10 week run, I had, Four Velmas and <laughs> I think three or four Roxys. Mm-hmm. And the show, the direction by Walter Bobby, the way that Charlotte explained it to me. Charlotte was playing Roxy and had been playing mm-hmm. Roxy for like twenty-two years.
1: I've uh, seen her ex- do it so many times oh, yeah. I feel like by now. Yeah. She's
0: phenomenal. And and she said Oh well, all Walter Walter wants is for us to tell the truth. Just don't, don't lie. I mean, the characters are lying, but the actors shouldn't be lying. And I was like, Mm. (laughs) and I was like, oh, she means like, we just need to really be asking the questions. Like, we need to really be having the conversations. The characters are often lying, but the actors need to be like present with each other and Mm -hmm. authentic and genuine to themselves so that it's not like I mean because it's a vaudeville show but like (laughs) the vaudeville is through the numbers not the the acting style Mm -hmm. and so like for Chicago which is like a very like um you know uh musically musical as far as the numbers the acting style is almost like film acting (laughs) and I think that's why it's it works is because the characters are written where it has to be you know like Lana and James T. Lane both talked about playing their characters as black people in the 1930s you know Mm -hmm. like what would a black person be going through in this position. And so they were bringing themselves to these really archetypal characters, making those characters very genuine. And the impact was effective because of that. And that's what theater has to think about. You know, it has to think about how is this going to be perceived? Because it doesn't matter what we want them to perceive it doesn't matter how much work we put into telling one story if the audience gets another story that's what the audience leaves with yeah. um, but it is really inter- it's it's really cool to hear the story of its um coming about And kind of calms my, you know, (laughs) my knee-jerk reaction of another (laughs) straight cis fan playing (laughs) an iconically queer role. But at this point, I just want to, I'm like, Eddie, you're a little bit queer, right? (laughs)
1: Aren't we all down deep down inside? like, every, absolutely. Everybody, I know. I just know. I
0: think he's been dropping breadcrumbs along the way. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, yeah, he's
1: he was he's it was a really it was really cool to get to hear about how that came to be because yeah, yeah I yeah, I I we're I, I feel like we have to be protective and we have to be um you know, oddly, like minimally gatekeepy at times because like there isn't equity, there isn't equality in our industry for people like us. And so when the roles are so few and far between for trans and non-binary people or people of color, and then the minimal roles that could be cast or are predominantly cast, you know, that way start leaning in favor of, yeah, people who have access of the, the, to every single role in the uh-huh. theater, you know, uh-huh. canon, it, 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 starts to rub you the wrong way forever. And I know that like, you've been watching that probably your whole life. I've been watching that my whole life. It's, it pisses me <laughs> off every time. Um, yeah. Well,
0: so, yeah. fun last little tidbit about cabaret. I have yeah. to tell you, because I've been having this conversation for a while um Jackie the the hairstylist yes. the uh, wig ma- mistress on Cabaret was my wig mistress on Doctor <laughs> Who and we've yeah. already talked about a lot of this. So I already nuked a little bit of the scoop on Eddie but I was playing dumb so i could so you could uh give me your own story take. live yeah <laughs> oh, yeah 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 but um oh my gosh jackie just absolutely wonderful <laughs> yeah <what a> treat. <laughs> jackie Jeez. if you're listening i miss you
1: <laughs> yeah she told me many stories she adores you like oh you, I, I we've we've bonded over our mutual she, admiration uh, of you every day she was so
0: wonderful we went out We went out a couple times, um, and everywhere we went, she would would sit with us at the table for five minutes, say she had to go for a second. We wouldn't see her the rest of the night. We'd see her holding court (laughs) everywhere. Every 10 minutes, she was with a different group of people. She's the most social butterfly. Anyway, Jackie, I miss her. Okay, here's a question I wanna ask. Do you have roles that you dream of playing and do you have roles that you've always seen as like, okay, we we need to do this again, but make that role queer because it was missed the first time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um... I, I mean, I always felt that way. I didn't feel entirely that way about the MC, obviously, because it's the, the character has been played by so a litany of queer people. But, it you know, like that and Frankenfurter and Rocky Horror, like those were shows I always was like, if these were revived in my lifetime, mm-hmm. I, I want to be a replacement. I want to like I don't care, you know, when I, it comes into my life. Like, I just want to slip into that show at some point. Um, so I'm grateful that that at least the cabaret I can Knock that one off the list. But um, Hedwig was a huge one, you know, as well. Um, And, uh, but I think it's, I I don't know how well you know Kiss of the Spider Woman, but um, I, it
0: keeps coming up in my life, which means I probably need to like really get into it. I have a very eclectic. I'm one of those people who once I find something I like, I just watch that over and over and over. And I'm the same way with musicals. So my breadth of musical knowledge is really confined to the like 12 (laughs) musicals I've been obsessed with my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) But Kiss of the Spider Woman keeps coming up. Vanessa Williams was on my podcast a couple days ago. And, excuse me. And she brought it up like three or four times it just keeps getting thrown at me. So if you're telling me I should get into it, unless you've got a dream role and I should stay away. For-
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it requires, I mean, the role in the show, cause it's, it's really, it's fixated on two actors um, mm-hmm. who share like a prison in Latin America. And so they're both. Um, so it's know, the, for American neither descent. of us to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very secretly, very Mexican.
0: Secretly, and, very
1: Mexican. I mean, though, no, I only say secretly because I read unbelievably white, yeah. especially because I'm I'm like, I play. I, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever played like a non-European in my life because like mm. I'm always a German or I'm always like, but I'm the palest <laughs> Mexican that's ever existed in the history of time. Um <laughs> just, I got all the white privilege benefits. It's so sad, but um, <laughs> goodness gracious. But yeah, well, but like that show has this character in it that in the novel is very mm. trance, like mm. and and elements of it have remained. Like, there's a film version. Is that is William that the Hurt role Cheetah
0: Rivera played on Broadway?
1: No, Cheetah <laughs> plays the Spider Woman. Oh, I was so, just
0: assuming if yeah. there was a transcoded character.
1: It was the yeah, <laughs> it would be, be, be the Spider Woman. <laughs> no, it's it's the person obsessed with the Spider Woman. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Like
0: sp- well, that also makes sense. <laughs> it makes so
1: much sense. Yeah, <laughs> it makes even more sense. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, uh, she's like, you know, the Spider-Woman is sort of just this ad, this actress that they adore um, and talk about. It, it's it's Candor and Ebb, so it's similar in structure to a cabaret or to a Chicago where there's like a show within a show. You know, there's the show that happens in Molina's mind as they sort of tell stories to pass the time sure. uh, in the prison. Uh, it's really fab. I would definitely I highly recommend it.
0: You know what I want to ask you? What? <laughs> um. Oh, I just had it, and then I was, and then I was being an active listener, and I lost it. Okay, <laughs> no, no, no. I had, I have it again. Um. Okay. So this is another hard left turn, mm-hmm. but um you talked a little bit, (laughs) you mentioned white privilege and we've been talking a lot about what it's like being a non-binary actor. Um, We both self self identify as trans Mm -hmm. and we are at this, um, we're at this point in time, you know, where there's a lot of progress being made in some areas. There's backlash in other areas the one thing I that always gets me the most down is infighting within our community. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to bring this up because I feel like over it enough to talk about it. <clears throat> but I I talked to my therapist recently about my w- anxiety of not being trans enough. Mm. <laughs> And like, you know, that by being a non-binary person or identifying as trans femme, but also very much not really having having lots of dysphoria, just it's not related to my body, you know? Mm -hmm. And feeling like, does that mean I'm not trans enough to self-identify as trans? And my therapist, who is also trans, said something to the effect of, you know, every trans person worries that there's they're not trans enough. It's just part of, you know, that like apology for existing that we've been conditioned, <laughs> you know, yeah. like we all have been conditioned to be sorry that we exist, you know, like we've all been conditioned to take up less space and we actively work against that conditioning to be a trans person in the public eye, you know? Um, but when I see that there's, you know, like sentiment within the queer community um, that like non-binary people are somehow taking things, uh, taking the movement away from trans individuals who have like um, transitioned from one gender to the other, you know, this idea that there's real trans people and um not real trans people. Have you faced this in your life as a trans person? Mm-hmm. Have you faced this in your career? And how do you deal yourself personally with that notion? <laughs> <laughs> How's Such all a light that? question, Mason Alexander. Question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I yeah, I definitely have. I, I have dealt with all of the same feelings. I often yeah I'm questioning my level of transness am i trans enough am i yeah presenting in a certain way enough to like be able to fit in with my peers or whatever mm-hmm. um and i i've been doing my best to let that go because it is so it is just a part of like the self yes shaming and the mm-hmm. um but it it is weird that i think a lot of that anxiety um is amplified by our own community. Like, it's wow. often... I don't know if I ever feel if I'm trans enough for, like, the palatability of other cis people. I it, the, the anxiety tends to be more around, am I trans enough for my peers?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I don't know where that comes from because... Uh, cis people have always looked at me like a freak and I'm just like, great, you get it. (laughs) You know, I, I'm, it doesn't matter what degree of, 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 you know, weird I am, I'm always going to be different to you. And it's going to be like very obvious to you, but when it's like fellow trans people, I feel like there is such specificity in, in ways that like can make us feel not, enough or yeah like you're co-opting or distracting certain Mm -hmm. conversations that need to be had and i think that like this the liberation of all you know of the binary is is liberation for all trans people Mm -hmm. who even the ones who exist on the far farthest ends of the binary who love the binary i'm like you you know it can it can exist and um and be utilized to make people feel good, but it shouldn't be used to make people feel bad, especially within our community. And I find it odd that like, there are people within the trans umbrella that will actually use the existence of the binary to try and make like non-binary individuals Mm -hmm. feel, um, not welcome or feel invalid in the whole uh, love fest that, you know, our, our community should be. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. it's a really weird, it's a weird nuanced conversation. Yeah. Um, Cause
0: it, it makes me sometimes when I am experiencing success as a non-binary person. And when I'm experiencing the feelings of joy of like, I, now there will be non-binary mm-hmm. people to be referenced um, for the younger generations. They're going to have that thing we didn't have, that thing we had mm. to search for and find in little tiny pieces. They're going to have, a, uh, I mean, so much more than we did because we had none. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. So the fact that there's even a couple, you know, a couple really wonderful representations of it, it's already a huge step forward. And... I think, yeah, that anxiety of the the not enough, it it's kind of about being considerate. You know, it's like what our community yeah. is known for. Like, we don't like, oh, no, am I making another member of the community feel uh, squashed? You know, am I making another group of people feel like I'm diluting something? But. In your response just now, I think you said it all, which is something um, my friend Gus said to me when I was kind of having these pontifications out loud. Um, He said, Jinx, you have forfeited every ounce of like fitting in privilege. (laughs) You're trans because the world treats you trans, (laughs) you know, like you you don't have any cis privilege. You gave all that up to be you. So the world sees you as trans. So there's no reason why you (laughs) should doubt yourself. And I think that's really what, what needs to be shared is you're absolutely right. It's about the way the rest of the world treats us. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like I don't even really care like how my community wants to identify me. They see me, they know I'm a drag queen, that's enough for me. You know, like <laughs> drag queen says it all. You know, like I don't really yeah. have to tell you my gender identity because my gender identity is drag queen and you get it, you know, like <laughs> but um for the the it's the straight world, the the when we have to go outside of our queer borders. And exist mm-hmm. in the in the rest of the world, those people don't treat us with cis privilege. Those mm-hmm. and and that's the that's the thing that always is said to me, like, oh, if you wanted to, you could leave your house and blend in. Whereas trans women, they can't like go backwards from transitioning. And I'm like. What are you talking about? What blend world? in? Like I have never blended in. That's why I came out as non-binary because I was sick of even yeah. trying to pretend that I could blend in. You know? Yeah,
1: we are like orange-haired, genderless <laughs> demons. Like what? No, no what? sane <laughs> person would see you on the street and be like, oh, there, there we go. There's just another, <laughs> there's another just one sad. of us. Another. <laughs> Like, who is a space alien that's just like strutting? If
0: anyone wants to know. What it's like, just like, I mean, listen to my I have a comedy special. I have a 20 minute monologue of what it's like to be trans and non-binary going through the airport. If you think I experience cis privilege worst. Listen experience. to my, It's the worst. It turns me into the I I am such a happy, even tempered person these days until I get mm. to the airport and I immediately turn into my monster self. It's it's just dreadful.
1: I mean, like I the, the amount of times I have to go through those stupid scanners and they sit there and they debate what like to which, your face they have yeah. no idea what you are and they're like and who's uh, gonna pat you
0: down and they're like no are, you do it no you do yeah. it <laughs> like, you
1: touch the free I don't exactly. want to catch anything.
0: <laughs> One time I said I don't care who does it somebody touch me, <laughs> like, um, uh, you know and it's so uh, like I. I, I'm sorry to just bring up such heavy topics in our lovely conversation, but I really like. I've really wanted to talk to you about this because, so I mean, I talked. I talk to a loke about this all the time, mm. but. Uh, like I said, you and I feel like we could be doppelgangers, so I really <laughs> wanted to, because I'm never going to be able to fully identify with a Alok's experience because we come at w- <laughs> but now I find out you're uh, secretly Mexican, so my whole world is
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm secretly Mexican, but we still are the same shape. So, you know, still, in the still- in the TV world, they would still cast us as the lady. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Hedwig uh, has been a very important piece to both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope to do it again someday, but now that I'm kind of like, I did it in my 20s. That was kind of young for Hedwig, but like mm-hmm. you did it in your 20s. Hedwig can be kind of ageless. You know, yeah. it's um, it's kind of a period piece because she talks about specific points in time. So it's like at this point, it doesn't need to be like Hedwig is, you know, like 60 looking back on her life. It can be. It's a period piece, it's a period piece. Anyway, so So I'm at this point where I'm like, if I do it again, I want to wait until I have a little bit more life because Mm. I did Hedwig um, two big times in Seattle, but a year apart from each other. I did it right after season five was announced, but hadn't started airing. And then I did it again right after I won. And oh, right wow. after I won, was when I was like, "Okay, let me at her. I know who Hedwig is now," <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, "Oh my God, life is so much harder than anyone ever told me." And I had gone all <laughs> over the world, and I had like become <laughs> an adult, and I was, uh, and and the rug had been pulled out from under me. And so anyway, I, I want to do her again in in my forties, maybe when yeah. I had a little bit more life, but. Um, <laughs> Let's I would talk pay an arm
1: and a leg. <laughs> like, truly. I would pay so oh, much hush, money Oh, hush,
0: you'll see be that. in it.
1: Well, uh, no, well, one, of, one of us will be replacing we'll one, be one all, of us. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like, what's your schedule like for the next few months? Should we do this? All right, so you do. go for a few, I'll go for a few. Oh and then we'll my
0: get out. gosh. Oh, wait until we're old and we can do MAME together. <laughs> oh my can-
1: God.
0: Um, Bianca tells me the story of, um, Bianca tells me the story of Elaine Stritch trying to convince Judy Garland to do Mame with her. And, you know, they were both famous drunks. And so Elaine's selling point was because they both were like, did, uh, Judy didn't want to do another scripted show because she, mm-hmm. because they don't let you drink, you know? And so (laughs) Elaine had this idea and she was like, Judy, we'll do MAME. I'll play Vera half the night so I can drink. You play Vera the other half the night so you can drink and we'll alternate (laughs) playing MAME. And uh, that way, you know, halfway, half the week we Uh, both get (laughs) to be loaded. And then Judy turns to Elaine and goes, well, that sounds lovely Elaine, but what about? What about matinees? And Elaine goes, "Shit, <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> that's the way Bianca
0: tells the story." So we'll have to do that um, when we're old. When we're old, <laughs> <Henry>. we can <laughs> we can play mame together. How that's did brilliant. Hedwig? How did Hedwig first enter your life?
1: Uh, oh, definitely the film. I think mm. um, I remember. I have this very vivid memory of being in high school and trying to figure out if I wanted to go to college for theater or not. I, you know, I'd been doing a little bit of TV, like silly Nickelodeon stuff. And all of my friends What were, what were you doing
0: on Nickelodeon? Would I know? <laughs> Uh, I
1: I had I played a a small part on iCarly that that hilariously enough is I just went back and filmed another episode of that comes out in like Uh,
0: because because of the reboot (laughs) because of the reboot
1: and they were like do you want to come back and play yourself and like ten years later I was like yes (laughs) for for like a buck fifty I'll do it I had no idea you were
0: a Nickelodeon kid that's so cool (laughs) it's it
1: was so silly and uh, but uh, good times and so but like all of my friends you know weren't going to school they were all gonna just stay and and keep auditioning and and just be film and television actors and I um I don't know I kind of had the theatery itch and bug and I just didn't really know if there was a place for me you know as a performer um where there were even enough parts. And uh, so I like (laughs) late, late at night, I was Googling like, you know, trans or drag or like, like all the buzzwords, like, you know, queer roles in musical theater and like going down the list, trying to see how many like leading parts are there. Cause I couldn't dance very well. Like I was not, I was not built to be like a swinger in the ensemble or to, you know, I did not have enough talent to do that kind of stuff. It's like leads or nothing, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's worth taking a moment to, to pause and say, if you're a serious, like, like, okay. Ensemble members, swings, Those people have the hardest fucking jobs in theater. Yes. Just need to say it. Principles. I mean, like my mama Morton track, my God, I didn't dance an ounce. I didn't didn't even have to step touch. Uh, Any dancing I did was of my own volition. (laughs) My God. And then I, I, I feel like I had like three scenes, two songs, Stole the show. Meanwhile, these women, I'm watching these women like contort and like crab walk all over the stage. I'm sitting here in a chair for 90%. <laughs>
1: They practically wheel you out, <laughs> and you, you out your damn song, go home. Someone
0: held my hand to the stage. <laughs> anyway, um, as you were saying, but yeah,
1: no swings are the fucking superheroes. Yeah. Um, you know, of the and and ensemble members are superheroes of the of the theater world, and I just knew I was not. I did not have that skill set, <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's you know, let's start looking. And of course, the only things that really came up were like Lacage. Kiss of the Spider Woman, um, Rocky Horror, Hedwig and Cabaret, and I was like, those are pretty. Those are pretty iconic things. Those are the lead. You know, those are big parts, um, and uh, I, I I felt empowered enough by like just that amount of shows. I was like, maybe I could have some semblance of a career. People will write new things at some point in my lifetime and like maybe there'll be more, but like.
0: Have you ever seen that episode of The Simpsons when Lisa uh, starts tap dancing? No. Oh, and her te- tap dance teacher is like a Shirley Temple uh, spoof, but she's like all grown up and she's like bitter and jaded. And and Lisa's like, you haven't taught me anything. All you've said here was just tap a tap a tap a. And the teacher's like, when I was your age, we would have killed for tap a tap a tap a. <laughs> <laughs> and when you were just talking, when you were just talking, I was thinking it's so funny that for the longest time, one of the biggest roles we could aspire. To as a queer trans non-binary actor was Frankenfurter. In one of the like weirdest, like like most disjointed shows that exists. That's our that's our Macbeth. That's I was like, there, there she Hamlet. is.
1: Come on, Hamlet. Hamlet on heels.
0: And 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 I was thinking like. Oh, my God, what a privileged position that I'm sitting here like, oh, Rocky Horror, uh, you know, <laughs> because like 20 years ago, I was like, please let me someday yeah. <laughs> rise yeah. the rank so I can <laughs> don the cap of Frankenstein. <laughs> Oh, gosh. it's like a
1: rite of passage. A trans <laughs> yeah. rite of passage. Yeah, I the other night I literally I can I I don't know who I was talking to. I, it's probably either myself or my you know one <laughs> of the many personalities or, or my partner. But I at one point was like, yeah, MC's kind of like my Ham. <laughs> it's like this is like this is it. You know, it, it's as it, good it's, as it gets for someone like me.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and Hedwig is like that too. I mean, Hedwig yeah. was the first role that I was like oh, this has everything I want to do yeah. on stage and the role is written well. Like it wasn't a fluffy, you know, it's not fluffy at all. The subject matter in Hedwig is really complex and really complex for its time because I remember yeah. it starting debates at my uh, my Portland queer trans youth resource center. <laughs> um <laughs> we got into like a pretty lengthy debate about, you know, someone was calling Hedwig a drag icon. Someone was calling her a trans icon. A trans person was saying, but she's not actually trans. She Mm -hmm. transitioned circumstantially. And, And then everyone was like, what do you mean? And they're like, did you even pay attention to the movie? <laughs> like, the whole thing is that she's not she's not one thing or the other. She's all of these things that. And then everyone was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like, and um, so it's a very nuanced, complex piece that, like, thank God it came along because oh my I think, God, yeah. in many ways, it like showed people, "Oh, wait." this story can be relatable in its kind of absurdity, you know, it's because when it's such a circumstantial thing, you forget about, well, this has never happened to me. And then you just start thinking about what the character's going through and like Mm -hmm. what it might feel like to have someone love A half of you, you know, (laughs) to love an idea of you, but not who you actually are. And then when that person is confronted with who you actually are, they leave. Like, that's a universal feeling we can all relate to. And it doesn't have to matter what's going on between the person's legs. (laughs) Yeah.
1: God, I love the way that you just described that and it, because that's like what draws me back to it, you know, to this day. And I think what changed my life about it and Hedwig really did give me the, um, the context and the language, I think, to, to describe how I felt about myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the first time that I ever experienced a character that is about as close to, you know, explicitly non-binary as a character can get in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and it's very cool now having like grown with it and done it and knowing Steven and John and and their, you know, experience with it now as they're older, like it's, it's really cool to revisit it every year or so with them and just kind of like chat about, you know, oh, like yeah. every time Trask talks to me about like lyrics <laughs> and kind of breaks them down, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, you really were writing like a non-binary anthem in the 90s um because they were all feelings that you had inside you that you just didn't like properly you know like communicate in any other way other than through this character and through music um and it's so it's just I think it's a phenomenal phenomenal piece of theater and an amazing movie but yeah that movie changed my life and um was a big reason why I went and I studied theater in school and then it was the first job that I got out of college I I did. I went to like that an open call for it, you know, uh-huh. in New York when I was there for my senior showcase, and and then it all just kind of you know, fell into place after that.
0: We really, we really are just from alternate timelines, you know. I've said this to a handful of people in my life. I said this to Lisa Ann Walter <laughs> I had her on, and that's the thing is like usually when I'm saying. I think I've met someone from a, uh, who's me from an alternate timeline. It's usually an older, redheaded, like, <laughs> brassy, outspoken woman. This is the first time it's been someone like, I'm like... Oh wait, no, that's just me. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to our mutual friend Joe Black. Um, who, uh, do Joe. you know Do you know when you first kind of like entered my entered my Cinescope, I, I I I was like uh, I I can't. Even, Joe brought you up to me. I'm sure, and I was like. Oh, you you mean the person who's going to be my competition for the rest of my life? And Joe was like, you need five minutes with Mason. You're gonna love them. You two are the, you're gonna just hit it off. And that's exactly what it was. I'm gonna give you my phone number right after this and I want to start texting all the time.
1: Yes, please. We have have lots to do.
0: (laughs) I know, we have so much to do. This kind of reminds me of, okay, I'm going to tell a funny story about this is the kind of jealousy envy I deal with <laughs> that I work on in myself for years ever since college i have been a huge fan of bertolt brecht brechtian mm. theater i i actually i totally spaced but i was going to talk to you about how candor and ebb felt like i feel like when i've now like learned a lot more about their multiple musicals they all have like a brechtian device yeah. in them and they're all very focused on that era the 1930s and um they must have really loved Brecht. Anyway, so Brecht is uh, one of my favorite, like, theater avenues. And the Three Penny Opera is my favorite of the Brecht shows. And Sasha Velour, um, winner of season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, or was it? Yeah, nine. Um, she, she's also obsessed with the Three Penny Opera. And my knee-jerk reaction was, uh. I'm the queen (laughs) obsessed with... Three-Penny Opera. That's so unfair. She's doing Three-Penny Opera before I get a chance to do it. And then I went, what are you talking about? Like, you, 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 how's she taking anything away from you? What you should do is tell her you also love Three-Penny Opera and see what happens. So I reach out to her. I tell her I love Three-Penny Opera. And she's like, we should do it together. And now I'm yeah. like, oh, duh. And that's why I say the antidote to envy is lean into to celebrate the person or lean into like sharing it with the person and then it made so much sense why was i like threatened that another queen what i should be looking at is finally another queen loves three penny opera i can finally do my all drag version of three penny opera and sasha was thinking the (laughs) same thing so this Uh is this is me officially saying there is not a feud, there is no feud, nor has there ever been a feud between Mason Alexander and myself. In fact, we are waiting for you mm-hmm. cowards to write us a show that we can star in together.
1: Okay. Yes, please, <laughs> goodness gracious. <laughs> we deserve it. I mean, we, we deserve,
0: deserve it. it. we worked how hard how for often, it. <laughs> how
1: often do two people with the same colored hair get to work together? <laughs>
0: mason um where can my listeners follow you online what should they know about you Uh, we've talked about um the sandman if you haven't caught up with the sandman uh, i'm sure they're gonna be doing more Um, cowboy bebop sounds like a thing you're currently on the west end in cabaret what else what else plug it all
1: um, yeah, so I'll be doing cabaret through September of this year with Maude Apatow. And we're having a great time. I hope you get to come at some point. I know you're touring this summer, right?
0: I am touring and- all summer. I don't know that I'll make it back to the UK before September because it goes straight from the summer tour into making the holiday show.
1: Oh goodness <laughs> gracious, you're busy. But <laughs> me. I'll, I'll have some. I'm gonna have. I'll have someone bootleg it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Perfect.
1: Um, but uh, but yeah, so that goes through September, and then. Um, Season 2 of my one of my other shows Quantum Leap airs in the fall. Um, You're on we, all
0: the reboots.
1: <laughs> I know I, I'm a reboot queen. They were, there were there's something about me where they were like, "You know what?" Let's uh, see how many franchises you can ruin.
0: <laughs> I keep, I keep joking when me and my friends like happen to dress up like characters from a show uh, by accident. You know, like how sometimes you and your friends go out and you're dressed like the Scooby Doo gang, but you didn't mean to. Yeah. <laughs> I, and because of who all my friends are, I keep saying we look like the progressive reboot of blah 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 <laughs> like, because it's all queer people. <laughs> color and like you know a rainbow of people and i'm like but we look like scooby-doo if it were made mindfully today
1: (laughs) for hbo max
0: it's just called max now oh i'm
1: so sorry i did not mean to dead name max i feel terrible
0: um mason where do we follow you online at
1: mason alexander Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Mason Alexander Park on I think uh Instagram. I always forget is pr- the park Twitter. Who cares? It's it's a tw- <laughs> there's so many names, you know. Um yeah, Mason Alexander Park on Instagram and maybe uh, on TikTok I think and I I have Twitter but I got locked out of it. So I, Lord knows if I'm ever going to use that Elon Musk bullshit. <laughs> oh, again, my anyway. God. It's a dumpster God, fire. A dumpster Don't fire. worry about
0: it. Um, I have compulsory questions that I ask every guest. Are you okay. ready for me to ask you?
1: Sure. Yes. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Question the first. Who is your celebrity crush today?
1: Um. Oh, Today. Oh wow! I, I guess my partner Alice Crumbleberry.
0: <laughs> Boring. Boring. I know. Well,
1: I know. I feel like I used to have an answer for that, but then someone that I oh, used you're in to love. have a crush on was <laughs> like, "No, no, my celebrity crush," I think turned out to be problematic, and I went, "Oh, oh I'm no!" Good
0: on that. <laughs> oh gosh! Maybe I need to rethink these questions. <laughs> I've been asking this since day one. I like it. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um question 2 are you spiritual?
1: Yeah, I think for yes, yeah, in many ways. Um I I definitely not religious but spiritual. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, th- th- that, I mean that tends to be the answer these days. It's a nice <laughs> it's a, answer. I like It's a nice answer. Yeah. It reminds <laughs> me though of uh did you ever see wife swap with of uh, with the god warrior? <laughs> one of my favorite things it's one of the unsung moments of the episode is when the hippie mom who swapped places with the god warrior is meeting all the god warriors friends (laughs) and one of the women goes um do you go to church and she's like no i don't really go to church but I, i i am a person of faith and she goes faith does that mean you believe in god or like a Higher power. <laughs> I always think of that one that one <laughs> bitter cold Christian lady going higher power. Higher
1: power. Myself well, is iconic. Think- <laughs> oh, God, I miss that show. They
0: just don't make shows like that anymore yeah. where they traumatize <laughs> two families for 50 grand. Anyway, um, final, <laughs> question. Okay. Uh, final question. Okay. Final question. What is your go-to karaoke song?
1: Oh, uh, either Zombie of the Cranberries or What's <laughs> Up. Four
0: those, those are two... Great songs. Um, What's Up was part of my vaudeville, vaudevillian repertoire, but Zombie is one of my favorite songs to sing because of the voice crack.
1: (laughs) It's so good. It's so good.
0: Okay. A little yodel. Everyone
1: likes a yodel.
0: Just a uh, mid-rock, mid-tempo rock rock yodel. (laughs) Mason, the next possible chance we get, you and I are going to karaoke. We're going to sing Zombie as a duet. Yes. This has been a lovely conversation. I'm so glad I started out just laying it all out on the line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy we finally got to do this. i too. I've truly, I've loved you and admired you for so many years. So it's really yeah, this is very, very fun, very special. Well,
0: like I said, I hope you see it as the compliment I mean it. That Are someone you yeah <laughs> that someone that I
1: adore, like, you know, in any is, way thought was that my yeah, by by me. <laughs> like the highest compliment I've ever received yeah, I'm, in
0: my life. I am so glad you take it that way because yeah, I feel like it's one, of those, it's one of those compliments only one actor or performer can give another. You know, like yeah. if if you if you went out and told like the, the clerk at Walgreens, I am so threatened by you. She'd be like, what the hell is this person trying to accomplish here? Anyway, yeah. um, I'm going to make sure you get me get my phone number. I'm going to um, message you on Instagram. You just made a friend for life. I adore you. Have so much fun mm. in your run on the West Thank End. You. Congratulations and to I lift a I lift an insure Max protein in your name to many more successes in your future. <laughs> Thank you.
1: I adore you. This is so great. much fun.
0: Thank you. you. It was. Have a great day. Bye, Mars. (laughs) And thank you all so much for listening to Hi, Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi, Jinx, on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram, at Official Jinx Monsoon on TikTok, I think, and at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx.
1: M. Oh.
0: M. Mom. To listen to High Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.